0: Good morning and welcome. You are at the Stay by the Tree webinar series, Messages of Hope. I'm Karen Broadhead and I'm so glad you're here. I'm the director of Mothers You Know and the parent support specialist at Life Changing Services thank you so much for being here. We're so glad you're here and so grateful that you would take your time to be with us. I'm going to turn the time over to my assistant BJ who has some information for us and then we'll let the Ashtons run. Thanks
1: BJ. Hey you're welcome. We're so thrilled that you are all here. It's so fun to see your squares popping up and your faces popping up and it's been such a treat to get to know the Ashtons just a little bit as we've been Getting ready for this special presentation today. They are just such genuine good people, not just when the camera's rolling, but just okay. off the screen. And we just appreciate them and are looking forward to them being here today. So, this is called the Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope Live Webinar Series. <laughs> this is sponsored by Life Changing Services and Mothers Who Know and also Mom Power Training. Life-Changing Services is a really awesome team of Latter-day Saint therapists and professionals that provide gospel center training and healing. And so if you want to find out a little bit more about them and their programs, you can go to lifechangingservices.org. One of the really awesome programs that they have is Mothers Who Know. And Mothers Who Know is just an online faith-filled gathering place for all women who are desiring to joyfully support their loved ones. As we all know, we're navigating lots of stretchy challenges in our time. And it's just a powerful place to find connection and support and training. And also we like to just highlight the word hope because it's all over even the difficult, messy parts of, of mortality. So they, Mothers to Know offers a variety of classes, support groups, and Webinar series and podcasts, you can just go to org and find out about some of the things that they offer. Lots of things, lots of those resources are free. And then Mom Power Training is one of those resources that Mothers Who Know offers. And just to give you, we always like to highlight this Mom Power Training. It is just what is it? It's just been such a phenomenal thing for hundreds of women that have. Uh, across the country that have been a part of this training. It's an eight-week self-guided online training that you can just listen to when it's convenient for you. And then we also offer live mini classes that complement those different eight lessons that happen on Tuesday mornings at 9 Karen Broadhead, who started this meeting, is the founder and director of Mothers Who Know and put this incredible training together that we love lots of the tools and skills that are taught in the life-changing services programs. Karen took those and just shares them in such a wonderful way in this mom power training. Karen's been the support specialist at life-changing services for over a decade. You can just go to mompowertraining.org to find out about that and register for that. You're all just welcome just a tiny bit more about that training. It's just a a really awesome way to link arms with amazing like-minded women and just elevate the way that you think and feel and then act. And so love sharing that. It really is a free training. There aren't any Strings attached to that training. Sometimes that happens when we arrive at free things, but not on this one. Just We wanted to share a little bit about the name of this series, Stay by the Tree. As mothers, we really understand the the worry and fear that we can feel as we are hoping to make sure that our loved ones find the Savior. The the name of this webinar series, Stay by the Tree, comes from the scriptural account in the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm of a beloved parent and prophet lehi it's commonly called the tree of life vision and that vision beautifully depicts for us as parents the best place for us to stand while we are watching our loved ones on their journey and sometimes it's different than what we had planned or hoped that best place for us is right next to the savior and as we watch lehi he beckons and invites he speaks with all the feelings of a tender parent and sometimes he even calls out in a loud voice yet he never leaves the tree and so he also never forces others to him or goes and picks them up and carries them to the savior he invites and we love that that motto stay by the tree in and the name of this webinar series and so we just know as moms, that's our safe place to stand. Love sharing that about people often wonder what's this about this tree that you, the name of this webinar series. And we love that. Today's message of hope is a presentation by Dennis and Joyce Ashton. And it's called But If Not, it's actually the title of one of their books, but holding on to hope during disappointment and tragedy and we're just so excited to hear from them with their personal and professional experience here in this area. We wanted to share just a little bit more about Dennis and Joyce. Dennis is a board certified licensed clinical social worker and former international assistant commissioner for LDS Family Services. He's also traveled throughout Russia and Mexico, Albania, Armenia, and Indonesia, providing humanitarian mental health training. And Joyce is a registered nurse and also a certified chaplain and bereavement specialist. And she recently retired as the director of spiritual care for Rocky Mountain Hospice. Both of them have been teaching just these amazing mental health classes at BYU Education Week for over 15 years. Just a little bit more about them before we get started here, their their writings and lectures on loss and grief recovery have provided lots of comfort and understanding to individuals and families that are suffering with adversity for over 20 years. They wrote their first book after they experienced the loss of two children. One of those children, Cameron, was 14 and struggling with cerebral palsy at the time of his death. His life and subsequent unexpected death is just how to, a profound impact on Joyce and Dennis. And we're just looking forward to hearing a little bit. Hopefully we'll hear a little bit about that and the things that kind of brought them to what they are wanting to share here today. These are the two books, but if not, and Jesus wept that they've authored and they provide so much support and understanding. And for all of us really know what About this. And if we don't today, we will tomorrow. Just dealing with losses and not just loss of loved ones, but losses resulting from numerous unexpected life challenges. So we are just really looking forward to that. We wanted to just share a picture of the Ashtons, their family. Dennis and Joyce are right there in the middle, and they just love the outdoors. And our parents to six children, four of them are living and They have lots of grandchildren. Not sure if this picture has changed since it was taken, but so fun to see them in such a real fun light. Dennis and Joyce, we just, we want to hand it over to you. We know lots of people came and wanting to hear from you. We just appreciate you sharing your time. Just wanted to remind everyone that Dennis and Joyce, when they're finished with what they came to present today, they are going to spend some time answering questions before we... Before we finish. So, I'm so grateful for that. All right, we're just going to hand it over to you, Dennis and Joyce, and sure appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you so much. So good to be with you. I'm uh, very impressed with what you're doing, and especially impressed this past week as I've looked more into the notion of mothers who know and uh, wondering where that thing came from and how that developed. And I soon found. Uh, this wonderful talk by Julia Beck, given in 2007 at at General Conference. In fact, it was a Saturday morning session. And uh, the thing I took from that talk, as I listened to it several times, is that mothers really do know, and the reason they know so much is because they nurture their children so well. I remember that I began to see nurturing, first of all, with my beautiful wife when we were dating. She had convinced uh, her mom to convince the patriarch to give her a patriarchal blessing quite early, 14, as I recall, because she wanted to make sure she was going to have babies. And the blessing seemed to confirm that. Later, when we began to think about the possibility of marriage, she actually sat in for my patriarchal blessing and waited for the patriarch to say something about this man was going to be able to have babies in his family. And so she was reassured again. Uh, unfortunately, after we married, we suddenly found ourselves experiencing infertility, which was a surprise uh, to both of us, and it lasted for some time. Ultimately, it seemed to be resolved, but unfortunately, after nine months and 10 days on a beautiful Sunday, as I recall, we discovered that our little baby girl was not going to survive and uh, I learned more about nurturing that day. I especially learned about nurturing when I went home after the baby was delivered, not surviving. And little Joyce D, Joyce for Joyce, D for Dennis. And I saw the crib that uh, Joyce had carefully painted. She'd placed some little bunnies on it. The p- crib had actually been my crib as a child. And then the crib was on one end, the little blue pajamas. And on the other end were the pink pajamas. Back then, Actually, you had the option of being surprised, and we were being surprised. But as I looked into that crib and felt what that would mean to Joyce, as she looked at that crib, I decided to take it down and to put it away before she returned home from the hospital. So time continued to progress, and actually the next child came along, and things seemed to be okay. Some challenges at birth, something seemed to be a little stressful about the delivery, When his brother came along, things changed very dramatically. I'll describe to you a setting where everyone in the room was excited. The the hospital staff were supportive of the new dad that was going to see his baby for the first time. And suddenly what I saw was blood. I saw a child that was not only blue, which is always a little distressing, but he was actually black. He wasn't breathing. I remember the tubes being thrust down his little nose and, and the green marconiums. Coming up through that tube, actually, Cameron had drowned in his own ambionic fluid. And in spite of their efforts, was not even going to cry until finally, just through some violent shaking, he let out a scream. Not a cry, but literally a scream. And they quickly ushered me away. Well, that experience uh, near drowning for Cameron in the ambionic fluid had destroyed brain cells. And in fact, Cameron, who had struggled the rest of his life, was a quadriplegic. It wasn't too many months after that, that uh, Joyce looking through her nursing manual began to understand what was going on and confronted the doctor and said, does our son have cerebral palsy? And at that point they said, yes, indeed he does. And I felt more about the power of nurturing and a mother's concern for a child. I also learned a huge lesson that day, something I had never known before. I'd gone through graduate school. I'd been in practice for quite a few years but I had missed one critical thing. And that message to you today is that at the core of every single life tragedy and disappointment, I don't care what you throw at me today or what you would ask me, there would be one thing in common with all of you struggling. And that is that you're dealing with a loss. Why is that important? It's important because anytime your assumptive world is assaulted, you will experience loss. And Unfortunately, even professional counselors quite often don't deal with the loss component of what you're experiencing. Loss is different than what traditional therapy is designed to address. Traditional therapy is based on a medical model. It's designed to fix you. With profound, significant loss in your life, you're not fixed. What a person needs to do is to travel with you, to journey with you, to support you, much as you're doing with mothers who know and the other auxiliaries that have been already mentioned to you. So anytime your assumptive world is significantly assaulted, uh, you'll experience loss, and you'll need an opportunity to grieve that loss. So what happens when loss occurs and you're attempting to grieve? Well, I think Shakespeare summed it up best. This is my favorite quote. Everyone can master a grief, but he who has it. Isn't it interesting how everybody has an answer for you and a solution for your issues? A little different when you're in the midst of the grief yourself. Number two, the depth of your grief will be directly proportional to the depth of your love, sacrifice, and concern. So if you're a mother who knows because you've sacrificed that concern for your son or daughter because of their anxiety, depression, significant illness, their addictions... pornography or drugs or both, your depth of your pain will be directly connected with just how much you love and care for that child, sometimes even a husband who acts like a child. Our journey through loss and grief requires emotional, physical, cognitive, and spiritual healing, and these are the areas that Joyce will talk about specifically each one of those in her half of this presentation today with helpful tools. Complicated grief is something that has always been a great concern to me in therapy because it seems to make that process even more difficult. Here's some things that lead to a complicated grief. See if any of those apply to you or those that you love and care for. Any grief associated with and involving a child is immediately complicated. Children uh, were meant to bury parents, not the other way around. Grief resulting from the actions of parents, and I've seen that a few times. I've seen a wonderful Bishop backing out of his driveway on the way to an important meeting who ran over his two-year-old son. That complicated massively his grieving. Our actions with Cameron were a choice. Cameron was not involved in surgery that day that was required. He was involved in surgery that was not required for him. And uh, when he passed away in the hospital, I was there. I remember so clearly staying awake with him until midnight and then sleeping for about 12 minutes, only to wake up to again see our son in the midst of a massive code, which is the word for hospital staff to come quickly because there's an emergency. As the staff gathered around Cameron, I could see again the dark skin. I could see again the suction going on to clear his throat and lungs, but this time, There would be no miracle. This time, our son was not going to survive, in spite of our efforts to provide for him a surgery that was designed to help him. Grief that was preventable. I just mentioned two examples of that. Grief that is self inflicted. There are times when young people, particularly today, and sometimes adults, take their life. This is a very powerful, powerful grief. My own mother at 50 took her life, leaving my younger brothers in. Who were still at home in terrible distress and without the nurturing of a mother they needed desperately. Grief resulting from men and women grieving differently. I remember so clearly flying into a distant area in Texas, meeting with a couple who initially wanted to talk about their marital difficulties. But as they talked, I realized the difficulty was not the marriage. The difficulty was a son, a young son in the hospital potentially dying of a very serious medical issue. Mom stayed home each day reading everything she could find on the internet, calling doctors, calling hospitals, calling anyone who might have some idea of how they could help this young child survive. Dad, on the other hand, was busy at work, sometimes putting in additional hours, even working overtime. Unfortunately, when dad came home, he quite often was exhausted. All his talking was done for the day. He was looking for the remote on occasion. He was looking for the newspaper. How do you suppose mom interpreted that? Mother who had been gathering all this information was so anxious to talk to her husband about all she had learned, and he seemed to be absent at that moment. He didn't seem to be grieving. He didn't seem to care the way she did. The reality was he was doing exactly what typically men do when they're grieving. He was trying to provide and protect, and unfortunately... He felt enormous guilt because he hadn't been successful in protecting this terrible accident that brought about their son's troubles. So now he was trying to provide. He was working extra hours to have every bit of available cash to pay for whatever medical technology might help. Once these two individuals realized they were both grieving and loving the same child, they immediately began to mend their marriage, which was never broken to begin with disenfranchised grief is something that is very much a part of the world that many of you are living right now. When we first got this invitation, I immediately thought about disenfranchised grief. What is it? Disenfranchised grief is when you have no one you can share your grief with for understanding and support. Who do you go to when you really can't talk about it? Who do you go to when you've attempted to talk about your pain only to be brushed off giving some simplistic answer that only costs you to hurt even more. And grief is different. For a Cameron, because of his cerebral palsy, his problems were obvious. I remember one day when a beautiful electric wheelchair was wheeled into the back of our chapel. I happened to be the bishop at that moment. It was a surprise gift from the warden stake. As they wheeled that wheelchair down, Cameron was elated. As he was handed to the rostrum, and I brought him towards the pulpit, and towards the microphone before he even arrived there, he had said thank you three different times. So grateful for what had happened. Everybody could see his challenge. Everybody could reach out to us and, and minister to us. His next brother, unfortunately, had other kinds of challenges. Those had to do with addictive behavior, with, with struggles with, with life. He ultimately ended a situation ended up in a situation where his wife, his education, All his money, his automobile, everything was gone. He asked, could he come back home for a season? That's always a difficult choice. When you're asked to make that choice, I suggest one thing. Consider what the brethren have said throughout my entire life in those kinds of situations. If you're going to err, err on the side of mercy. We erred on the side of mercy. It wasn't easy. It brought a different look to the Ashton family. I'll show you what the look was by an example of one individual who approached me. A close friend in the ward who simply said to me, how could it be that the shoemaker has a son who's going around the neighborhood without any shoes? Well, the message was very clear to me. How could it be that this family, this husband-wife team that had given lectures at, at BYU Education Week, were professionally trained, had talked to others about parenting, how could they have a child struggling in this manner? Well, his struggles went on for some time. Ultimately, they were resolved. With time, though, he shared in a note to me something very profound. He had attended my final day at work, my final send-off, and heard lots of individuals talk about their experience with me as their boss. He sent me a note and said, you know, I appreciate everything that everyone said today, but the thing that has impressed me most about you, Dad, are the many times that you had something to say about my conduct, but you chose not to say it. You chose to love me unconditionally and accept me until I could work through my difficulties. Job had a similar situation. You remember in the scriptures well, that Job was doing pretty well with the losses in his life until suddenly he began to get counsel from those who were supposedly his friends. I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye. What is he talking about there? This is what he's talking about. How then comfort ye me in vain, seeing in your answers there remaineth falsehoods. What were the falsehoods that they gave Job? The falsehood was this. What have you done, Job, to offend God to cause this terrible pain in your life? Spiritual injury is another great concern to me. Spiritual injury is often inflicted directly by the person themselves. A wonderful sister in a faraway ward couldn't have been a more conscientious, nurturing parent. Nonetheless, a bookcase fell over on her two-year-old son in the midst of a, what should have been a happy day of cleaning a home and laying new carpet. Even at that point, though, help seemed to be immediately there. Her husband was in the bishopric. Her husband's counselor was nearby and was there up in the scene. The bishop was also there. One of the two of them was a, was a medical doctor as well. Blessing was given. Medical care was given. The emergency crew showed up quickly and began to transport her son to the hospital. In the midst of that, she had a peace. She felt a peace that rushed through her that said things are going to be okay. So she took the time to get dressed and to look a little more presentable, only to arrive at the emergency room to be greeted by a nurse who said, you're too late. Your son has just passed away. This spiritual injury nearly destroyed her. She ran endlessly to deal with the grief. A doctor said to her, if you continue running, you'll be a cripple. Your knees are wearing out at a very young age. She did everything in her power to resolve this issue. She felt terrible. She was the Relief Society president, but didn't feel worthy to be in that role any longer. She lamented the times that she had told sisters who came to her with very difficult problems, things like, are you praying? Uh, are you living the commandments? Have you been paying your tithing? All good things, all true principles but not sufficient to resolve that kind of pain and that type of grief. How long will my grief last? Well, it varies. And for some, they'll have a miracle that will give them a reassurance that may shorten the time on that. Joyce will talk about that more specifically. But for some, like this sister, and frankly, the person speaking to you today, we don't grieve less with time, we grieve less often with time. And I say that, understand that I have had to find a way to assimilate and to accommodate and to integrate that loss of Cameron into my life. It has made me a different person, but that pain at moments comes back very strong, even to this day. Covenant blessings are important. Alma at the Waters of Mormon gave six recommendations to those who are considering being baptized. Isn't it interesting to look at this to realize that three of those recommendations, three of those suggestions have to do with loss and grieving. The last three, are you willing to bear burdens? Are you willing to mourn with those that mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort? Now, as you think about those three, the order is important. Too often, too often, individuals start with the last one, comfort those in need of comfort. They do that prematurely. A wonderful man came to me shortly after Cameron's death, a man who went on to become a mission president, a temple president, a stunning example of everything that's good about this church. He came to me hours after Cameron's death. He opened his scriptures. He shared things that had helped him when his, his aged father had passed away. And two things happened that day. Some of you will understand this. Some of you won't part of me loved the fact that he was there, that he was sharing. But another part of me, another half of my brain, I'd like to say, couldn't wish him to go quicker. I didn't have the ability to listen to that at that moment. I wasn't ready for that. It was premature. Later that afternoon, I heard my lawnmower running. I went to the bedroom and looked out the level blind. I opened it so small that no one could possibly see me. I didn't want to talk to anyone at that moment. But there on my lawn was an ironic priesthood holder, mowing that lawn, taking care of that burden. And that meant so much to me at that moment. It's hard to even describe what I felt. Here's a wonderful family that's close to me, my brother and his wonderful wife. Uh, will I ever experience the promised peace and comfort again? Well, the answer to that is yes. Victor Frankl, who was confined to a Nazi concentration camp, watched his family and other family member and other close friends die in that camp, ultimately came to a realization that even there in that setting, he had some freedom. And he discovered that what he could do was to realize this truth. Man is not destroyed by suffering. He's destroyed by suffering without meaning. So back to my brother and his wonderful wife, a family who are on a journey today to find meaning to their loss. Their beautiful daughter, Lauren, died from a drug overdose at the age of 21, and they have struggled mightily. The way they have found some meaning to her loss is pictured here, and they wrote this. Our family formed the Lauren Foundation after the loss of our daughter due to addiction and mental illness. One of the most valuable assets of Lauren in this life on her journey was her service dog, Ivy. Always faithful, never leaving Lauren's side, Ivy provided non-judgmental and continual companionship and emotional support when family, professionals, and others could not. Lauren was a passionate animal advocate for her entire yet short life. And our mission is to honor her passion. She volunteered endlessly at local shelters and efforts to return love and support she received from Ivy for the past and the last eight years of her life. This foundation now will help support uh, the training of of similar animals and bring them comfort. In conclusion, may I simply share in my last three minutes something that brought relief to me. I went to a movie somehow in the midst of all my pain. It was hard to even motivate myself to go. The movie was Robin Hood. The character who played Robin Hood, the actor was Kevin Costner. In the midst of that movie, if you recall, Robin Hood sent off his good friend, his close friend, Duncan, to protect him from a a battle that was about to occur. He was trying to save Duncan. As a result of Robin Hood's choice, he actually sent Duncan in the midst of the conflict, and Duncan was violently killed. Robin was devastated. He had tried to do something on behalf of this dear friend, and, and and that choice had resulted in his death. Robin had then, then was comforted by his great trusted friend, the great Aussie, who said these words to him. And as he spoke these words in that theater that day, I felt those words were meant for me as well. Robin, there are no perfect men or women, of course, just perfect intentions. Those of you listening, I am assured, have perfect intentions. And God is the only person on earth who loves your son, daughter, or siblings, or others in pain more than you do. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: Wow. I think we should just close now. There's no way I'm going to be that powerful. And I apologize. He's, he's fantastic. And I'm grateful to be married to him. I love the scripture that you've chosen for some of your programs. For God has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. And that is how we got through many trials. Messages of hope are so important. And I'm so grateful that you all have found this website to receive messages of hope and that you can stand with peace. And that is so important as you go through all these trials, that you find joy in spite of the trials, that you hear truth as you search and receive your own revelation, as you claim your power, and God can help you find that. And of course, as you stand by the tree, which represents our Savior, we find such great comfort. Unfortunately, earth life, the reality is, it's hard. And we came here to try and get through it, didn't we? We had no idea what's Things would be thrown at us. And a book called Bad Things Happen to Good People by Dr. Kushner is so true. Somehow we think if we do everything right, that nothing bad will happen to us. But guess what? We're here on Earth life to experience those things. And Heavenly Father sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust. So we may, again, experience things that we think are unjust but we're here to experience those i love the mothers who know idea and i think how great it is that you have mothers who have gone through all these things to help support you as you face them dennis mentioned our son who was caught up in addictions for 10 years and how grateful we are that he got out of it. I have a brother who is in his 60s and is still unfortunately an addict. Marital conflict is always tough as you're trying to deal with all of these different challenges. How does it affect us as a couple and how we see things differently and how are we going to merge together? and make marital conflict less. Of course, chronic anxiety and depression is a common loss. Gender dysphoria is a very common loss. My sister married a man and found out years later that he was gay and they had four children and how difficult that divorce was. Fortunately, they are still friends and support their children very well. And she remarried, became a Relief Society president, and moved forward with her life. We have children, all children struggle. You may have one that's good, but otherwise, don't you think all of our children struggle with something? And that makes the family struggle. I went through this, a full nest, and then an empty nest. That can be challenging. You have So many children, you don't know what to do, like the woman in the shoe. Or all of a sudden, the children are all gone and off living their lives and you're there alone as a couple. And that requires some adjusting. Unemployment or underemployment causes us a lot of loss and grief. The death of a loved one, Dennis talked about that disability of body or brain function and I have a lot of disabilities and it's not easy to do all the things that you want to do when you have a challenge. And there are people that have very serious disabilities and maybe a child of yours does. What about illness, chronic illness, self-image? Isn't that a challenge for most women? We're taught to love our bodies, but do we really? Do we really accept our bodies and our face and our hair and how does that affect our self-esteem and our children go through this unfortunately divorce is a very difficult process for those of you who have had to go through that abuse financial challenges so those are just a few things that maybe you are going through and how great it is to have mothers who know what that is like And to support you, there's secondary losses after you have the major loss. These are the secondary losses you don't even realize until you go through it a loss of future plans, hopes, dreams, expectations. Your world has been shattered because you thought if I do this, this, and this, I'll get this. And all of that goes away when you have major challenges. You lose your security, your predictability, and your control. All of a sudden, those are gone. The brother of Jared made it to the promised land by a furious wind. He was many times buried in the depths of the sea before arriving. So we might be buried several times before we arrive to the final destination But we've got to hang in there. We've got to stand by the tree. We've got to keep going. But if not, we've got to keep trying and going. How do we find our new normal after we go through something so difficult? Generally, they say it can take 18 to 24 months just to accept what's going on, to adapt. And it can be years before we totally can find our new normal. I remember I've had a few friends whose children have been LGBTQ and watched them help their child and and love their child but go through their own grief. And one of my one of them came home and said my counselor told me it might be 10 years before our family adapts to all of this and accepts all of this. And I thought, oh, wow, that's a long time to go through the process. Jacob, who lost his son, Joseph, said, I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. So he's saying he will always miss that child and will always be in a state of Morning. When I hear the word recovery, I think, you know, you really can't totally recover to back to what you were, because this event changes you, you see through different eyes now you become aware of different things. So I like to say, we reconciliate with what has happened, we adapt to what has happened, we adjust to what has happened. And we stand by the tree. Dennis mentioned a few coping variables. And I have two slides that just say, so one person seems to be doing really well with this challenge they had. And I'm not doing so well. I'm in the depths of grief. So what makes someone cope better than others? Dennis mentioned if it was preventable. Did something happen and you feel responsible for it because it was preventable, that's going to make your grief deeper. Did you have time to prepare for this or did it just come out of the blue and knock you down off your feet? In other words, was it sudden and unexpected? How was your physical, your mental, your spiritual health at that time? Have you had previous losses? So was this challenge on top of this and another challenge and another challenge? And they all squished together, making your grief unbearable. What were your past coping skills? I like to say when I was a child, I had separation anxiety. And that anxiety was kind of my go-to place. If something went wrong, there was the anxiety. I had to learn some coping skills that helped me not go there anymore. And I can say it's taken a a lifetime of learning and growing and praying and hoping that now I'm a very calm person and I rarely have anxiety anymore. And I'm so thrilled about that. And that's my hope for for everyone. How does our beliefs affect how we cope? Do they help us? Do they hurt us? Do we have to adapt them some? What about our family values? How we were brought up? There are some things that maybe don't work anymore, that we were taught as a little child. And the support that we have now, how much support do we have in our family? What is the type of challenge? There are some things that maybe are just more challenging than others to a certain personality, to a certain person. I remember when my my sister lost a full-term baby, and we had lost a full-term baby as well, and she had more mental health challenges than I did. I had profound grief, but hers went longer and harder. And what? why is that? So some of these coping variables make a difference in how we view things that happen to us. Feeling is healing. We need to take the time to feel that pain. We need to cry. We need to talk about it. We might need to read and learn and Join support groups. We might need to write about it. I used to tell my hospice patients to just take a notebook and keep it private and just write out all of your feelings because if we can get them out from inside and on paper, sometimes that's very helpful. So that can be a private journal that you have. And of course, praying, calling on the power of Heavenly Father, pleading for his comfort through the Holy Ghost is so valuable. These are some of the emotional symptoms we might feel when something happens to us. And then the last will be the helpful tool. So emotionally, we might feel shock, anger, guilt, anxiety, sadness, Loneliness. And how can we soften some of that? It's through sharing our feelings with mothers who know, with family, with friends, with a professional counselor, if needed. Physical symptoms. We may eat more or eat less. We may sleep more or sleep less. We may gain weight or lose weight. We may have heart palpitations, headaches, restlessness or even muscle twitching. After Cameron died, I had an eye that twitched for two years. And I I went to the eye doctor, we did different tests. Finally, I realized it was grief. So the helpful tool for physical symptoms, Brigham Young recommended a balance of our work, our sleep, our recreation, do we do that? Or do we work two thirds as hard as we sleep and recreate? And I think we have to find that balance. We have to have a proper diet. There's research that eating carbohydrates can increase the serotonin uptake in your brain and The highest one was carbohydrates. And of course, we know chocolate can help us feel better, but is it the best carbohydrate? So I always recommend it to my hospice patients to have on your counter cut up vegetables and some fruit, and you can just snack on good things, maybe some whole wheat crackers, so that you don't go long periods without eating. Because when you're in a grief cycle, a lot of people. Choose not to eat, and that changes the serotonin in their brain, and they aren't going to feel as good. Sunlight comes through our iris and helps the serotonin have an uptake in our brain and give us a more well being feeling. Exercise, of course, is so good for us, and you can combine the sunlight with your exercise. And find yourself having more endorphins and that serotonin uptake. Cognitive symptoms. We're so confused, aren't we? We're so disoriented and absent minded. We just, all we can think about is what we just learned or what just happened to us. So, those helpful tools are to reduce our stress as much as we can, let others help us, let others comfort us. And again, the Mothers Who Know program is is so great for that. Focus on positive thinking. So there's a think first process where you're going to not go to the, the horrible place. You're going to use a positive thought. Yes, I'm going through this, but look at the beautiful world. Look at the family that I do have. Look at the fact that I have a great job or that my husband provides for me. All of those positive things are good to say to ourselves as we're going through these negative experiences. And it's really hard to do, but I promise if you do, you will feel better. And the gratitude therapy is so important to focus on those positive things. Tolerance therapy, you may not have heard of this, but it's where you tolerate whatever circumstances are going on. And it reminds me of of Lehi and how he stood by the tree and he did not leave the tree. He just tolerated all the people laughing at him from the spacious building. He tolerated... The fact that some of his family didn't come forward. And so it goes together, standing with the tree and and tolerating others and not letting all of their pain take over our happiness. Social symptoms. We feel wounded. We feel vulnerable. We have a loss of identity when we go through these challenges and we want to withdraw and isolate, which in the first phases, I think is okay. As you try and stand up again, after being knocked down, it's okay to withdraw a little bit and isolate. But the goal would be to push yourself to be with others, to serve others, to find meaning in this Terrible thing that has happened to us. So at first I say yes, you can protect yourself and and withdraw a little bit and isolate, but know that at some point you're going to feel better if you can push yourself to get back to some sort of normalcy in spite of the chaos around you. Helpful things to say to someone that's going through a challenge. So this is for caregivers and helpers of those who are challenged. I'm sorry you're going through this. I want you to know I care. I really care about you. And when you hurt, I hurt. This must be a very difficult challenge for you. Don't ever say, I know how you feel because we're as different as our thumbprints and we are all feeling in different levels. It's better to say, I can't imagine how you must feel. I'll be there at six And we can talk it through, or I'll bring you a treat, or I'll bring you a handout that I found. You are not forsaken. Some will say the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. Then he will show that he hath not. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Why stand by the tree? Because Christ strengthens and enables us. He is acquainted with grief. He carries our sorrow. He learned to succor us through his own suffering. He suffered. He knows what challenges are. And he can bear any of our pain, any of our grief, any of our mental illness or sickness. He's there. He knows. And if we can take his power into our lives, we're going to find that peace that we need. We can follow his example at the healing pool of Bethesda, he looked for one in need. He listened without criticism. He often gave anonymously. He understood and acknowledged the grief and disease. And then he followed up with the sufferer. That's how we can help others and follow his example. Our Savior went through a lot. In fact, when it was time for him to go through his great challenge, he said, let this cup pass. I I don't want to do it. And do any of us want to do it and go through that challenge? But he said, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He said, and after he went through it, he said, I have drunk out of that bitter cup, which the father hath given me. And we too may have to drink out of a bitter cup as we go through this earth life and know that he's there for us. Our book was based on these scriptures. Our God whom we serve, is able to deliver us. But if not, be it known, we will still worship our true God. We must try to find the same faith as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God will deliver us. We know he can cause a miracle, but if he doesn't, if he leaves us in that fiery flame, we will still believe, we'll still carry on and have faith. For my last slide, this is one of my favorite thoughts, that sometimes we need to wait on the Lord. He may not comfort us or take away our pain immediately. So in Psalms, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say. And then in D&C, very similar, wait patiently on the Lord for your prayers have entered into the ears of the Lord, and all things wherewith you have been afflicted shall work together for your good. And I say these in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much, Dennis and Joyce. So good. We are just going to transition into our Q&A. One thought I will share is I just... Found it so significant, Joyce. That your favorite scripture was in DS 98, two and three. And just this very, very morning, I sent that to somebody that I love. It's the first three verses in this week's Come Follow Me, right? It's the first three verses that we're covering. I thought that was so special and neat that the timing of you sharing that right now when we are all trying to keep things on our radar, so many things, but. And sometimes we cover that come follow me thing. And sometimes we don't, but just very timely. I also wanted to reiterate just my love and gratitude for the Savior. And thank you for bringing him into all of this and being so kind and generous to us in your preparations, as well as your expressions
1: when it comes to mothers, you know. So thank you so much for that. Okay. Amen to what Karen just said. And so thankful, Ashton's. So such a pleasure to know you a little bit and to hear from you. So do have just a a couple of questions I'll start with? The first one is I've, we, we hear it often shared that faith and fear cannot coexist. And sometimes when, you know, when we struggle with feeling fear or maybe grief. It seems like that means we don't have enough faith or we're not righteous mm. enough. Can you share some thoughts on that? That's such a common feeling. Oh,
3: isn't that, I struggled with that too because we have faith here and then we have grief and fear and all the emotions here. We can have both together. I know we think that we can't, but I experienced both together grief here and my faith here. And I think when we try and combine them, we're going to have spiritual injury. We're going to say, oh, my faith isn't enough because this is still going on over here. All this emotion I have and all these things that are going wrong. So I discovered for myself that you still have this great faith and this great hope and this great power sitting over here and you're trying to utilize it, it's not gonna take away all your grief and suffering and fear. We just have to keep working on it and keep trying and maybe not beat ourselves up saying, I'm not faithful because I'm still going through all this. No, it's still here. We just have to keep fighting for that faith and power and hope.
2: You know, the, the very first book that we wrote, well, there was a second one actually it was entitled, is entitled Jesus Wept. I think we mostly quoted from But If not today, but the whole reason that we wrote that from that premise was the very issue that's being raised here. And it's it's fascinating because when the savior appeared at Lazarus tomb, there are many interpretations of what was going on there. But, but the truth of it is that the shortest verse of scripture we have is Jesus wept. And the truth is that he did weep. And, and people sometimes want to minimize why he was weeping. But the God of the world, if he's truly able to understand all of my pain, which we claim that he is, how is he going to understand grief if he doesn't feel grief? And he felt grief. And those that were present that day, if you look a little bit further beyond that Jesus wept uh, verse, those present said, oh, how he loved him, meaning Lazarus. So his tears were clearly including the fact that, that Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise him to the dead, he knew that he was, he was going to be in heaven. He knows all those things. But nonetheless, he could still grieve the absence of what it would mean to these folks not have him on earth at this point in time. And so it's sad that we, we thrust that conflict upon people. And to take all the, the, the suffering out of life, is to take the joy out of living, a great prophet has said. And uh, truly, that's a marvelous question. But, and, and I'm sad how many people are destroyed because they don't overcome it. And as they hear other people talking, particularly in, in sacred meetings and other settings, they say, well, that's not working for me. That's not how I'm experiencing this. They have no idea what's really going on in that person's life. And uh, there are very few that really see the other side of those issues, basically. No conflict. They go hand in hand.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you for what you added. The next question is, I have a dear friend that has been going through mental health struggles with her child for 15 years with no end in sight. How do I support her and strengthen her?
3: My first thought is you're there, you're present, you listen. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We don't want to give her a bunch of advice. We just want to listen to her pain and stand stand by her. That support's invaluable.
2: And again, going back to those three points that were raised uh, by Alma. And again, the sequence is critical. You, You lift burdens. It's always helpful to have someone lift the burden, especially when you're in the midst of that kind of pain. You mourn, which means the very thing that Joyce is talking about. You're listening, you're empathetic, you're walking the journey with her. And if she if she herself finds some meaning, the way you comfort someone is when they discover that meaning, rather than you trying to guess what it is, when they discover it, you reinforce it. You identify with it. And then it's very appropriate to say, I can understand what you're saying and I'm feeling it as well. Or I felt it in my life in this circumstance. So rather than leading her to that, You wait for that moment where she has that aha moment and then you reinforce it and remind her of it from time to time. Her moment though, not your moment. That's the critical part of this. It has to be meaning that she discovers.
3: I thought of one more thing when someone is having a challenge for their whole life. So it's been 15 years, maybe it'll be 15 more. How do you endure that kind of pain? without a friend, and the friend could also encourage neighbors and others to support her in different ways. Mowing the lawn, taking a meal, I think we underestimate how that support is. We always think we're going to take a meal when someone dies, but what about someone who's having a mental health crisis? Why aren't we supporting them? Even more because it's as challenging or more challenging.
2: So, I'm sorry for your loss, and how can I help? And you don't go in with an agenda, you go in looking for their agenda,
0: and And they they may
3: chime into it. And they may not ask for help. Sometimes we just have to do things like the boy showing up to mow the lawn to support this poor mother who's overwhelmed.
1: Thank you very much. Another question. Do you, do you have just any advice to help prepare young children for these difficult situations that they will be facing similar to ours? Are there things we can do as parents or that your parents did, or that you did as parents to help your own children
3: with these situations? My first thought is something that I've seen parents do with their children. And I think I probably could have used that. So to empower little children, they would stand them up in the mirror where they could see themselves and to say positive affirmations in the mirror. I am a strong girl. I can run fast. I am a kind girl. I can help others. I'm a beautiful girl. I have a body that works and I have hair, or if they don't have hair, focus on. I have eyes that see and lips that speak. And I thought that was so valuable. And I thought maybe my self-esteem would have been better had I had those inform- that information early when I was a young child.
2: Yeah, I think one of the critical things there is you have to separate, I think in my mind, the difference between self-esteem and self-worth, you know, self-esteem are the things that we do, the way we dress, our accomplishments in school, all those things, perhaps, you know, performance in a sport, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Self-worth is who we truly are as a child of God. And the amazing thing was that throughout Cameron's 14 years of life, I met in therapy, many young people who had none of his limitations. They had the girlfriends he didn't have. They, they had the friends that wanted to hang out with them and to play sports with them. They had all those things he didn't have, and yet many of them were profoundly unhappy. And some of them, in, in, in spite of the therapy and help they were given by parents and others, even chose to terminate their life. Yet Cameron somehow, in the midst of what he didn't have on the self-esteem side, had enormous self-worth. He absolutely believed in god and so reinforcing self-worth is more critical i think than putting too much attention on Mm self-esteem kinds of things because they're fleeting they're going to go away Mm -hmm. and as we get older as joyce talks about some of her physical challenges right now those things vanish with time you don't think they will but they do and so the self-worth is the critical one who i am as contrast to what Mm -hmm. i do Mm -hmm. and what i accomplish
3: i really like that so as they look in the mirror, they need to say, "I am a child of God, and He loves me, and of infinite
2: worth uh-huh, and value, uh-huh. in spite of whatever the kind of limitation I may have in mm-hmm. my life." So that's that's not an easy thing to do, but but you look for those moments. One of the, just one of the quick ones I think makes a huge difference is when parents are honest with children. See, I think we err on the side of not being honest enough. Even honest to the extent to to say to a son or daughter, you know, when I got upset with you, I hurt your feelings. I said things I shouldn't have said. Some of what was going on was how I was feeling about work today or the frustrations in my life. Now, I am displeased with what you're doing. We need to correct that. But you got more than you deserved right now. That's huge for a child to think. A parent can acknowledge they've done something wrong and to come clean with it instead of to hide all that. That's why children, children just burst into positive growth when they overhear a parent talking about them without the child knowing they're talking about them and talking about values that they have and how much that means to them.
1: Thank you so much. And this question is during the past couple of years, I've lost my sisters and several close friends. I am feeling the disenfranchised grief, feeling terrible loneliness, having trouble pulling up again, finding new friends. Do you have any suggestions?
3: Oh, that is so painful. And sisters are so valuable. And and I wow. I think the most important thing is to acknowledge what she just did, her grief and her feelings. And then I think of the two Ps, maybe she's been protecting herself a little bit and maybe she needs to push herself, which is so out of our comfort zone to push ourselves, to say, I'm lonely. I need more friends. I've got to find some friends and They may never be as wonderful as her sisters and have that bond, but maybe she'll find some peace. And if she can just find one close friend.
2: Yeah, I totally identify with that question. And uh, and the truth of the matter is nothing will ever replace, you know, Cameron for me. And, And I'm grateful to Joyce because she more naturally went to other avenues. She began to read, she began to write. Initially, her feelings about what was going on, and then suggested to me that maybe we ought to write a book and, and discuss this. And I was so oppositional to that to begin with. It just seemed like a book. I'm in the midst of this enormous pain right now, but I needed some prodding at that point in time. So since then, the books, the speaking, the sharing, even though there's a part of me that resists it. I have to push myself in that direction. Uh, this has been a tough week for me to be honest with you. And at times I've said to myself, why did I ever agree to do this? I know what this is going to mean. And, and as I try to prepare and, and revisit those memories, and I'll try to wrap up more of that story of Cameron in our next episode, basically. But I knew that would bring that pain to the forefront. And, and I'm feeling it right now and I'll fill it for a day or so. But as, as I think of Cameron, I think he would agree that that was the right thing to do. I think that that is a way to to show my love for him. So sometimes you show your love to someone else in behalf Mm -hmm. of the person you really have left behind. And
3: finding meaning. So many people search for meaning and how important that is to find meaning in our suffering and meaning in our loss. And, and find some kind of project or something that will drive us to find that meaning. And I think for her, maybe it isn't finding a friend, but that seems like it would help. Maybe there's something else out there that would bring her meaning and comfort in the terrible losses she's endured.
2: You know, like writing, like writing about the meaningful experiences she had with these loved ones gathering the pictures that she has and putting together something a book or something that even others could ultimately look at that the other generations to know just how special these people were mm-hmm. a gift
3: mm-hmm. that
2: she could still give them so you can love an absence and that's difficult but you can love an absence and find ways to, to do meaningful projects in their behalf
1: thank you very much and that good mama you know just You come and join with us anytime at Mothers Who Know. And we'll put a little bit of (laughs)
0: information
1: in there as well. We would love to link arms with you. And anyway, thank you for your comments, Dennis and Joyce. Okay, let's see if we can um, get a few more questions here. I find it difficult to know when the time is right to help someone who is grieving to be reminded of the positive things they can do to help them. Sometimes I feel like we can listen to and validate and try to be with them in it but after a while it's hard to keep watching them suffer month Mm -hmm. after month
2: yeah yeah and and the temptation there and and it's it's a real one it's a noble one but we have to remind ourselves over and over again focus on what you can do not why they're suffering as a general rule it's what you can do not focusing on me discovering the why's that they're suffering i know that is we're drumming that one in but it's powerful i can't tell you each time we give this talk at Education Week, and I talk about the person that came to me with the scriptures, and a noble individual who shared meaningful scriptures that were all true. But I'll stop at that point, and I'll say to a room full of people at Education Week, I felt split at that moment. Part of me was happy with what was experiencing because I knew this man loved me, but the other part of me wanted something different. What was that? And without saying another word, I, I'm silent, and the, the audience immediately says, you want him to go. You didn't want to hear anymore. You'd had enough. So you just have to be very, very careful of that. That doesn't mean that you don't tie into it. When we were in Kosovo and refugees were telling their horrendous stories to us. Now I'll wrap this up very quickly. They told stories that were hard to listen to. And after we listened all day to some horrendous stories of death and, and, and suffering, you can't even imagine. The next day, the missionaries come back and said, that same family want to talk to you some more. Because now... They wanna show you the video they took when this was going on. So they had verbally painted a picture that made us sick to even listen to it. But because we listened to that, they opened up another chapter and said, we trust you enough now to tell you through visual account of literally how we pulled our dead loved ones back into the house. All the men in this family had been killed from the grandson all the way to the grandfather had been pulled back in the house hid away at night, cleaned up with each mother and daughter and mother praying over. And, and, and it was a horrendous thing. It was difficult for them to do that. But at that point, then you can validate that pain, but they had to get there. We would have never seen that video had we not spent that first day, just listening and watching those tears mm-hmm. and, and being with, mm-hmm. in, in, in being in their presence.
3: And I know it does get, It does get wearing Mm -hmm. when someone grieves for years and years and you want them to Mm -hmm. find something on. Yeah, you want them to move on. But if they can't move on, then you still have to walk that journey with them. You still have to listen to them if you want to help them. If you're burned out, send someone else in to walk the journey and listen. Mm -hmm. You may need a break. You may need a break. It's rough. Oh, thank you.
1: Very much. Okay, let me ask this next question: Was the loss of your second child different because you lost another child first? Were you better prepared to deal with the loss? Yeah,
2: we we oh. talk we talk a lot about we, we actually wrote a chapter for a book one time it was talking about anticipatory mourning as contrast to mourning that just is thrust upon you. And what we discovered is that it's very difficult to prepare for the impact of death, especially the death of a child, basically. But if you but if you measured those two on, on a scale, if you had a loss scale of one to 10, and you say to the person, if 10 is the worst and one is the least, the baby for me, and I think for Joyce for the most part, was, was relatively low, 1-2 range basically. Cameron, on the other hand, was an 11 for me. <laughs> he went right off the scale. And the reason for that was, and I didn't get in all the details, of This and I'll do a little bit more next time, was, was all the time we spent working in his behalf. And so more of it has to do with the amount of time and energy and sacrifice you put into a person's life that makes a difference. And also... The dependence they had on you. Cameron's trust to us. I can see his big brown eyes when we said, We think you need to go th- through this surgery. He didn't want to do that surgery. And the tears immediately came to his eyes, but he would have done anything that, that we would suggest. So I think it's tied more to those kind of issues than it is, you know, being more prepared the next time around, basically. It has to do more with that relationship, the responsibility. You feel. Mm-hmm. There's good death and, and there's less good death, basically. And, and so you grieve in three categories. You grieve, you grieve things from the, the past, the present, and, and, and the future. With a child, you don't have much of a current time. They're, they're too young. You just have this little beginning. You don't have this middle point. And, they, and the whole future is not even there. It hasn't even arrived yet. So I think it's tied more to that with an older person. You still grieve, but their life is now in that third stage, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the beginning, the middle stage. That ending stage is really to move on to the next life. A child's not ready to make that jump at this stage. And so I think that's the biggest contributing factors.
3: I think for me, my losing the baby with all the hopes and dreams that I had was maybe a four or a five. And then Cameron was a 10 for for me because of all the time invested and the relationship we had and the missing him. And he was such a darling, happy, fun-loving kid in spite of all his suffering. So we desperately missed him.
1: Thank you very much. Just thank you so much for your questions. We'll have a chance to ask questions again next week with the Ashtons, but we wanted to turn it back now to um, Karen to help us Mm -hmm wrap up.
2: Very good. Thank you. Thank all of you for coming.
0: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your questions. Next week in our Stay by the Tree messages of hope, the Ashens will be presenting again on holding on to hope by coping with stress and anxiety. So good. And yeah, we just have felt such an incredibly meaningful, very meaningful, deeply meaningful spirit here today. And I'm so grateful for your service to us, Dennis and Joyce. So thankful that you have joined us, everyone. It was so wonderful to share this time with you. And to know that all of us struggle deeply in our lives and finding the meaning in that is so difficult. And it's so wonderful to have people who have felt inspired to use the things they've learned in their suffering through their suffering to share with us so
2: generous thank you can you still hear me
0: Mm
2: -hmm. i just make one last last quick comment is that on on the next section we're going to jump a little bit deeper into when one might need some additional professional help with these issues so for those that are interested in that you don't really have that in the title per se but that's kind of where that's going to go
0: so helpful yeah that would have been one of my questions today is how do you know when
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you're at a point that you need to get some help yeah so hopefully
2: we can do that great thanks yes thank
0: you everyone yep and we'll see you all next week again with dennis and joyce thanks for being here everyone thank you so beautiful bj and the appreciate you ladies bye bye